One and all, welcome to the latest, greatest Nick's nonfiction. Nick Munez here, breaking the descent by Jeff Schlong. All right, so I forgot the charger. We're going to have to do this one quick. We're integrating both halves. No chill at the end of the episode. Maybe we'll be lucky if we get half an hour. This is a fun one. We're talking about caves today. It's an Art Bell type of show, an anthology. We get an anthropological. Talk about caves and shit. Did you hear about the splunker that quit cold turkey? He caved. Make a wish. It stalagmite come true. The most interesting caves in the world are off limits. Why? Caves in Mexico with crystals the size of houses, they emit light energy off limits. Caves in China that have their own thunderstorms and ecosystems off limits. Agartha, the entire continent of Antarctica, off limits. <laughs> Two bats are sitting in a cave. One looks at the other and says, I'm hungry. I think I'll go get some blood. He flies out of the cave. About an hour later, he returns with his face covered in blood. His buddy looks at him and says, whoa, how'd you get all that blood? He says, you know, when you're flying out of the cave, you hang that right and see that tree in front of you. His buddy goes, yeah. I didn't see the tree. Bat jokes. I got into a little caving last year you might have saw. Claustrophobic in the Golden Fault Cave. It's a bit more anxiety than uh, your McDonald's playpen growing up. (laughs) Remember that? There was a booger around every single corner. Some annoying kid at the top of the slide. We would play a game called Constipation and see how many kids you could back up in the slide. I was always the blocker. Grimace is lurking in the bowels of the deepest caves. Fulford Cave, that's the next one on my list. All these boulder hippies. Oh, you haven't heard about splunking? I guess it's too underground. (laughs) Us cavers know how to make the bedrock. (laughs) Today's edition is all about conquering fears, solitude, darkness, claustrophobia, not to mention the crawlers, the mud men, the mantis men down there. What do you get when you cross a cave with a snippy person? Sarcasm. <laughs> hey girl, are you a cave in Thailand? Cause I wanna leave some kids in you. Here I am standing at the entrance of this deep cave and I hear some idiot's voice coming back at me. It's an echo joke. We'll be right back with the about the author. About the author Jeff Schlong. Again, I'm sorry, but we're trying to beat the clock today, already down to 94%. Harry shit on Instagram, patreon.com slash the niche. Support it so we can go and find out more caves. Bro, when I was in the Colorado Springs Cave of the Winds, one of the fucking guides came up to me. He's going, have you ever repelled before? Buddy, I repel people every day. (laughs) Some valuable information in here. You guys need to follow the Action Adventure Twins. This is one of my favorite YouTube channels. These brothers go to the bottom of Earth every single week. They're visiting other planets. They found out that if you, like, rub crystals the right way, they sound like a harp. It's the most magical noise you've ever heard. And they always keep the vibe high. How else are you going to stay alive when you're seven miles underground? Good vibes, man. This author, Jeff Long, went to University of Iowa, founded the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, This guy's into the unknown. And you got to check out those old Art Bell coast-to-coasts. Not just like Mel's whole episode, but they have 
government cave researchers, all kinds of infrared tech boy. What country is the best at cave paintings? Denmark. <laughs> what type of mineral makes people sneeze? Gesundheit. Me and my uncle used to play cave explorers. He was the explorer and I was the cave. <laughs> we'll be right back with the show. <laughs> this might be the shortest edition ever. I threw a lip in anyway. Chapter 1 of The Descent by Jeff Long, The Himalayas. 1988, Ike is in the Tibetan Autonomous Region. Quote, the exhausted trekkers huddled in the dark cave. None of them seemed quite ready to focus on the storm beating against the mountainside outside. Spending the night in the cave, these guys come across some glow-in-the-dark paintings. The calligraphy glowed with a soft violet light in the cave's cold bowels. The luminous hieroglyphics reminded Ike of his old dorm wall with their black light posters. You got a John Belushi in black light with a college sweater on. Everybody had the Hunter S. Thompson in extreme close-up. I was a men-building-the-Empire-statement poster guy. <laughs> Quote, Ike had nine clients here, only two of them male. Cave orgy! They were easy to keep straight, so no one's gay in the cave good, good. Their goal was or had been Mount Kalash, the pyramidal giant just east of the Indian border. The problem was somewhere along the trail he managed to misplace the mountain. Misplace a mountain? It galled him. They were lost. Beginning at dawn today, the sky had changed from blue to milky gray. The herders had quietly bolted with the yaks. He had yet to announce that their tents and food were history. The first sloppy snowflakes started kissing the Gore-Tex hoods just an hour ago, and Ike had taken his cave for shelter. It was a good call. He was the only one who knew it, but they were now about to be sodomized by an old-fashioned Himalayan tempest. Sodomized. Ike is keeping a cool front. Get it, a weather joke? You weren't ready. Quote, for once, his sixth sense, or whatever it was, had come up short, and that bothered him. He's got to act cool, so he's like the guide. Every job, there's some sort of a grift going on, and he has to pretend that he's mightier than nature. When you join my departure, nothing can ever happen to you. I've conquered nature. Hey, do you see that avalanche up there? Quote, outside the storm went on, horse-whipping the cave mouth. Barely, May. It wasn't supposed to be this way. There should have been plenty of time to get around this bit. And back to Kalish. The bane of mountaineers, the monsoon, normally didn't spill across the mountain this far north. But as the former Everister himself, Ike should have known better than to believe in rain shadows or schedules. Or in luck. Damn. I gotta steal one of these signs up in the tundra. Self-reliance is essential. It's one of my favorite signs out there. Everywhere signs. Do this, don't do that. Watch out for Grimace in the cave. <laughs> Quote, they were in for it this time. The snow would seal their paths shut until late August. That meant he was going to have to buy space on a Chinese truck and shuttle them home to La Venise. You know, he's going to find a way around this. It's like that Touching the Void book we read last year. Motherfucker dumped his partner, cut the rope on his climbing partner, and he fell into a crevasse. The guy broke both of his knees and he had to splunk his entire way out. Sometimes the only way out is through. 
They start walking in through the cave. You should know perfectly well, the woman went on. There was no written language in Tibet before the late fit. They're making small talk so they don't scare themselves. Like I'm saying the twins in the cave. Keep it fucking light, brah. Quote, I spent the last eight years in Nepal and Tibet watching myself slowly devolve from the golden boy of the Himalayas into one more forgotten surrogate of the American empire. I'd grown old inside. Even now there were days where I felt 80. Next week was my 31st birthday. The mountains will age a man. He's in the recesses of the cave. The group runs into a body. The man's grimace was slightly buck-toothed from mummification. His eyes were calcified to chalky blue marbles. Otherwise, the extreme cold and high altitude had left him perfectly preserved. So the whole time everyone's making small talk, and now they're at Ike's level of fear. None of us should be expecting another day. Mother Nature will teach you that. Ike, he's turning to his people. Quote, he saw nine pairs of frightened eyes beseeching him from beneath hoods and visors. Everyone had their lights on now. No one was arguing. Why? wept one of the women. Miss, you're in the alpine tundra, a biome inhospitable to human life. That's why. Ike, he's spending time trying to cheer the people up. And one guy's trying to identify the body. All the world will be in love with night and pay no worship to the garnished sun. That's way out of context. The guy had Shakespeare, like a note in his pocket. So they're going, this body could be preserved for 400 years. Another one. Ike said nothing. He went nose to nose with the gaunt face, hunting for clues. Tell your journey, he thought. Speak your escape. Every lost caver. They need a, a Call of Duty kill cam. How are all these people dying? Ike, he makes everybody keep moving. He's trying to say he has a 3D map of his brain going, and he's trying to stay as close to the outside of the mountain as possible. They're lost. At last, he reached a plunging shaft and came to a halt. Like an invisible waterfall, a column of freezing air streamed past from reaches too high for his flashlight beam. He held his hand out. The cold current poured through his fingers. A little drafty in here, isn't it? <laughs> then, outcrops disturbed the flow of wind. A tiny symphony of whistles and sirens and birds cried, answered back. The air smelled fresh, like the outside of a mountain. Ike filled his lungs with it. A rush of instincts collided and would be uh, called a heartache. In that instant, he wanted what he had never really missed. He wanted the sun. It's written a little too poetic for me. Ike saves the gang at the end of the day. They came across a lost body. What's that movie? Stand By Me. That shit could have used more caves, more tits, and more ass. Coming across a dead body, that's some scary shit. Um, when you're on Everest, those are all bodies of one's highly motivated people. <laughs> Thank you for the story, Ike. Chapter 2, Kalahari Desert. Battery is at 86%. <laughs> North of the Askam tribal lands... A foreigner named Allie makes herself one with the people. The story's written in third person. It's annoying. I bring you this. The girl held out a necklace with a small shrunken pouch embroidered with beadwork. The leather looks fresh, hastily tanned, with small hair still attached. She's holding a scrotum. Clearly, they had been in a hurry to finish this for her. Wear this. The evil stays away. Allie bent her hair so that the leper girl could get the necklace placed. She copied Cookie solemnly... It was a tough trinket. 
so yeah the church put her in this friggin african village and the people are giving her trinkets saying these woods are evil they said the morgues were used for fetishes it was a spiritual thing that people just threw the bodies in the backyards and the family members were convinced maybe grandpa will come back to life again Grandpa comes back to life. Why does my ass hurt? Did you guys let somebody touch me while I was asleep? They have a culture of sodomy and at the same time a religion of just letting dead bodies out to hang. It's a pretty dope quote. The worst of it by far was the witch hunting. People said that evil was coming up from the earth. So far as Ali was concerned, people had been saying such things since the beginning of man. Every generation had its terrors. She was convinced this one had been started by diamond miners seeking to deflect public hatred away from themselves. They spoke of reaching depths in the earth in which strange beings lurked. The populace had turned this nonsense into a campaign against witches. The Big Bad Wolf, Hansel and Gretel. Their fairy tales, maybe it was about dogmen and pedophiles. That's what it, the Big Bad Wolf could have been a skinwalker, and that Hansel and Gretel witch was a perverted cannibal. <laughs> all these old stories, maybe they all hold a little bit of truth. The local Cokies, they're asking God for help, quote, but she was being transferred, thrown back into the wind yet again. It didn't matter that she had not finished here, that she had actually begun drawing closer to the truth. So when it gets good. First to Baltimore for some ghetto work, then to Taos for a little monastic airing out, then to Columbia University to Britzkleeg her dissertation, after that Winnipeg for more street angel work, then a year of postdoc with the Vatican archives. Very obviously the church had been grooming her. Formation, it was called, though for what she couldn't precisely say. Until a year ago, her cover letter had showed nothing but steady ascent. Abruptly, no explanations offered, no second chances offered, they sent her to the refugee colony tucked in the wild of Bushman country. Hmm, she was rising the ranks quick, being promoted by the algorithm. And then she got a little bit too close to the truth. Very interesting story. Bro, I went on a date with a girl in the CIA. She lives in Boulder. She's two years out, so she's like 24 years old, and she told me she's still in training. It's this story, bro. Formation periods. If you want to work at Trader Joe's, you need to become an assassin. She's with the San Kuang, another stribe. These people speak in clicks. Here's the quote. The tone was differential, religious and ancient, and the words and sounds were different from anything in cohesion. They hinted at a reality that was both of old and new. Someone was out there, or had been long ago, or had recently returned. And whoever they were, they spoke a language that predated the historic language of the San. So since we're going fast, let me give you some value. You need to watch The Dark Tower. We're at 74%. <laughs> the Dark Tower, they do this map in it. Itris Alger draws it out for a kid, and he's like every period of time is existing right now in your world too that's what these ancient people are telling Allie she gets the water cleansed for them then they're trying to send her to a new tribe she had been too busy teaching hygiene and caring for the ill and distributing food and arranging the drill for the well but after a couple of months she had grown more sensitive to the dwindling numbers when she asked about it it was explained away with a shrug that people just came and went they're living in a tribe in the middle of nowhere. Allie's like, where are these people going? Maybe it has something to do with the missing food. 
<laughs> I was gonna make a joke about people with in Ethiopia how their guts are huge. Where are you hiding the food? It's too offensive for most people. I think tribalism only works if people like each other. Like all of these fucking hippie communes, they devolve into Calvinism. Moving on. Quote, when she first had come uponeth them in the bush one day, Allie had thought it was hyenas working over a spring brook. Perhaps she should have guessed before. Certainly it seemed that someone else could have told her. There was a colony of very sick and miserable human beings, even skinnier than the San Kuang. She came across deep in the woods. It was a good story. She like looked down into a, a dike, a ditch, a dam. And she saw a bunch of skinny people look back up at her. And they start launching arrows. There's always a hungrier tribe. The crazier part of that was she was CIA Vatican. Chapter 3, Camp Molly. Now that sounds like a good summer. This one's about a uh, NATO station in Bosnia. So he's like a military missionary this guy 1996 0210 hours rain roads and bridges have washed away rivers that lay choked operation maps have to be reinvented convoys sat paralyzed landslides were carrying dormant mines onto lands laboriously cleaned land travel was at a standstill like noah beached upon his mountaintop camp molly perched high above a confederacy of mud its sinners stilled the world at bay bosnia Poor Bosnia. It was the great mystery in Branch's life, our character, how 22 years after escaping from St. John's to fly helicopters, he'd still believed in salvation. Branch could feel the camp around him, its borders, its guardians. He knew the sentinels were suffering in the foul night, and the body armor was proof against bullets, but not against rain. He wondered if crusaders passing on their way to Jerusalem had hated chainmail as much as these rangers hated Kevlar talks about some of the combat that he saw in Iraq. Skeletons broke beneath our Humvee tires. People emerged from ruins bearing flintlocks, even crossbows and spears. Urban fighters had dug up their own plumbing pipes to make weapons. I did not want to save them, for they were savage and did not want to be saved. I'm going to ignore that philosophically. <laughs> Ramadaz approaching in Beirut. McDaniels is his buddy. He's coming to the fucking... Uh, base with him they get assigned to a new mission they have to guard the entrance of a cave the un war crimes tribunal had commissioned forensic digs at execution sites throughout bosnia the wizards were their diggers day in day out their job was to make the dead speak lots of guys are frequenting the cave they're like science guys and they get access to some satellite mcdaniels and branch the screen was gorgeous with limey green geography. A computer overlaid the satellite image and radar with a ghosty map. McDaniels tagged the image and keyed a different remote sensor on his computer. This one fed a predator drone circling at 5,000 feet. The view shifted from thermal to other radiation. Same coordinates, different colors. He methodically worked more variations of the theme. Along one border of the screen, images stacked in a neat row. So he's looking around the cave... And he's going, why does it look like there's living matter inside of the cave? And they use some more advanced imaging. 
it shows that the cave is composed of 80% nitrogen gas. What the hell could live down there in that? McDaniels and Branch, they think this can't be right. Should we tell the higher-ups or keep it to ourselves? They wind up asking a scientist on base. Animal matter decays. Dead tissue ammonifies. That's nitrogen, in case you forgot. <laughs> How much dead matter is in that cave? Weeks pass, some Serbians traveling. They try to go into the cave. Quote, but of all the factions, the Serbs were the best known for trying to erase their sins. Until the first cab put a stop to it, the Serbs had raced about excavating mass graves and dumping remains down mine shafts or grafting them to fertilizer with heavy machinery. All that fertilizer at Home Depot? It's people! Dead tissue, he's saying, is what some of these Bosnians would use for their plants. McDaniels and Branch, they grab a drink on base to deal with the news. They find this old guy, Chambers, got transferred to their base. They were in Iraq together. After a couple drinks, Chambers starts to get uh, loose lips. Quote, Look, he started over. My people located Zulu 4, opened it, spent five valuable days excavating the top layer of bodies. That was before this goddamn rain shut us down. This was by far the largest massacre site. There's at least another 800 bodies down there. So far, our documentation has been impeccable. The evidence that comes out of Zulu 4 is going to convict the worst of the bad guys. If we could just finish the job... I'm not willing to see it all destroyed, but goddamn human wolverines. It's bad enough they engineered a massacre, but then to deposit the dead? It's your job to guard that site. In an instant, the universe revealed its depths to Branch. For the first time, he realized that he was a favorite son, and the colonel had hoped in his heart to hand out the division of him someday. To late, Branch comprehended the magnitude of his betrayals. So it turns into a bunch of politics. Branches being, like, groomed by the higher-ups to fucking watch over a mass grave. That's a pretty crazy story. Would you feel betrayed? You've heard all the stories of the Kandahar giant baby. That's some Patreon territory. But you need to look at the maps of where the U.S. bases are and where a bunch of caves are. Another big overlap. People are obsessed with the U.S. missing persons in the caves. It's overseas, too. And what do they call Afghanistan where uh, empires go to die? I guess Bosnia, too. <laughs> Chapter 4, our final one, Java. Back in the Pacific Southwest, this time Indonesia. We know those soccer boys love those caves. Quote, it was lover's meal. Raspberries plucked from the summit slope of Ganung Merpai, a lush volcano towering beneath the crescent moon. You would not know the old blind man was dying. His enthusiasm for the raspberry was so complete. Berry by berry, Santos kept replenishing the old man's bowl from his own. Santos was sent to the old man's house. There was the usual aggregation of temple statuary, fossils and artifacts that every field anthological decorates his home with, but beneath that, anchoring these bits and pieces of daily finds, was an organizing principle that displayed Delorme's the genius as much as his subject matter. Lom, that's the name of the old man. And the old man knows something about the volcano that Santos was sent there to find out. Santos has some backup with him, some guy named Thomas, and they're like contractors. Quote, Santos turned his head aside. In profile, his fashionable goatee was a flourish upon his exquisite Michelangelo chin. 
Like all of Lahorm's acquisitions, he was so physically perfect, you wondered if the blind man was really blind. A blind caver? The story's awesome. That's a real Batman. <laughs> Forgive me, Santos said, but my itinerary is compressed. They have me scheduled to fly out of Jakarta at 5 tomorrow morning. That means I must return to whatever by dawn, and I've already wasted enough of our time by being so late. We'll be up all night, Leom grumbled. You'd think they would allow the old man a little time to socialize. <laughs> For the next hour, Santos is tending to the old guy. They sit at the table talking about their recent adventures. Finally, they come around to the work at hand. Santos is overseeing an excavation of the volcano. So the top guys are telling him, find out what the blind guy knows. Santos was sitting at Lerom's right as he leaned his elbows on the table. He had been waiting all evening for this. Surely you don't call this an excavation, he said. These lower regions within the hillside were especially not to be disturbed. UNESCO mandated that none of the hidden footer was to be exposed or dismantled. The Indonesian government forbade any substance exploration. No digging at all. And so this is a whole story. The U.S. military supersedes the government's or any heritage preservation projects. If there's a terrorist threat and Saddam might be in that cave, we're coming in. Santos is going, well, we got word that there was some strange activity in the cave that the radar is coming up as. The other officer, Thomas, butts in. You know you're not supposed to be down in that cave. You're a trespasser, Lerorm. You'll make it impossible for any investigations to occur. And Lerorm completely shuts down. Santos keeps chipping away. He goes, I'll tell you one more secret. Scholars have counted eight great civilizations piled here. Now in the space of three weeks, we found evidence of two more civilizations. Santos is feeling just like a branch at the end of the last story. So he's like, fuck it. I'm going to walk up the mountain with the old man. They start walking up the volcano. They walk the path by flashlight, carrying musty umbrellas wrapped against their bamboo handles. The air was so heavy with water, it was almost not air. Any instant now, it seemed the sky must open up and turn to flood. You cannot call these Javanese monsoons rain. They were a phenomena, more like the eruption of a volcano, as regular as clockwork, as humbling as Jehovah. They get to this hidden chamber in the cave full of human sculptures. So Thomas is going, This predates everything. It's so old. Man was still foraging in the trees at this time, inventing fire, finger-painting on cave walls. This is what frightens me. These people, whoever they were, they should not have had the tools, the flint, much less the ability to carve stone. So Thomas, for the first time, is confronting something he couldn't have believed. Santos is putting the puzzle pieces together quick. Let us suppose our master sculptor here somehow tapped into this subconscious. That might inform some of these figures, but this isn't work of a single hand. It must have taken an entire school of artisans generations to carve these columns. Other sculptors would have added their own realities, or even their own subconscious. So you see, this guy's in the middle. <laughs> this is a great fucking story. It's uh, like uh, the Easter Island book we read. Nobody knows the story of the cave, but whoever leaves it with the microphone gets to tell the story. As they're walking to the exit, they pass the main volcanic shaft. It's like a 500-foot vertical drop. Thomas asks Santo, do you hear those explosions down there? Is that coming from our men? What are they doing down there? And then Santos 
pushes Thomas into the volcano. Let's fucking go. <laughs> and he said something cheeky. You'll never be able to see. Some Plato's allegory of the cave action here. Santos and the old man leave the cave together. It's a pretty dope one, bro. We're going to do more backward stories, but today there was a message. Who's the real enemy? Is it aliens that the government are fighting at the bottom of Dulce Base? I read into all the dumbs, deep underground military bases and shit. I'm saying maybe the enemy is the old man or people that have information counter to the narrative. There it is, The Descent by Jeff Schwamm. Thank you guys for tuning in. We made it under the battery requirement. As I said, we got um, next week. I am Ozzy. It is our April-themed edition. Um, we will do our extra segment. Stretch it out. I'll remember all my equipment. That's going to be a fun one. Rock and roll, baby. Seven short days. Be there. Be square. Harry Schwan on Instagram. Free memes. Inst <laughs> you know, we're getting murked by the censors. Patreon.com slash the niche. Let's get a random soundboard effect to end this ep. Nick's nonfiction. We ain't going nowhere. I love you all the Nickers. Thank you for being here. Peace!